I was like, I'm keeping the beard for the show. And Sophia's going to have a beard with like a pancake makeup on top of it. So mm-hmm. that's, so my, sometimes it's just scheduling my beard around things, yeah, <laughs> which is just, the problems you want to have. It's not a bad yes. problem to have. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has had recurring roles in such beloved shows as Friends, Will and Grace, Arrest Development, Saved by the Bell Reboot, Search Party and more. You can see him back for a fifth season on ABC's A Million Little Things. It's the insanely talented and wonderful Sam Pancake. Woo! Or maybe just insane, period. (laughs) Yeah. We can leave off all the talent and everything. All the rest of it. Yeah, let's leave it off. Hello, Dad. Hello, hello. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. Was performing and acting a thing you were like, I'm always going to do this, even as a child you knew? Or was this like a later in life development? It was something I always knew since I was about two years old and saw my first movie and my first kind of play type situation around the same age. And I was like, that's for me. And in some ways I've learned throughout life in some ways that's good because I absolutely always knew what I passionately, you know, voraciously wanted to do and pursue like a dog with a bone that the the dog never dies and the bone never goes away or gets buried. And it's good to have that sort of thing because you always have that focus. You know, I, I was never, I'm still never like, what do I want to do with my life? But the bad news is, is like, I can't, I can't break up with this ever. You know, I feel like I've always said, I mean, unless, I mean, hopefully if I, my health is good and <laughs> talking like I'm 90, it, I would like to do it till I drop like some people, you know, like some old character actors, like, which hopefully I'll still hopefully be just working till I drop. But yes, mm-hmm. I've always known I wanted to do it. And what was your kind of journey into getting into acting and performance? What was, what were the steps you personally took? I grew up in small town, rural West Virginia, which no one was in the industry. No one worked in, you know, this, and this is in the seventies, you know, no one worked in Hollywood or television or entertainment of any sort. I mean, beyond, you know, marching band or the church chorus, there was no performing. I barely even did. I get a couple of high school plays that were just not even like a real, it wasn't even like, you can't take it with you. We're arsenic and old lace. It was like, danger love at work or some really like bland just bland sort of like you know written for high schools to do with 50s maybe plays i would but i went to wvu western university where my dad had gone and our most of my all my siblings ended up going i have five siblings and um that was i was like i'm always going to do it you know and i got into school and i had some really good teachers there and it was a conservatory theater program and then i after college i moved to myrtle beach south carolina for a year and a half because i meant to stay a summer and then i just kind of hung out for a while and then i ended up moving driving from south carolina to la in 87 with 200 dollars in my pocket and just like you know paper maps i knew one person from college and I just started like scrapping along. And that, again, that was 87. And I still look back, I'm like, how, what was I thinking? But it was that, that passion, you know, that like crazy drive, literally and figuratively. And I just hung in there and I was, I mean, I was, I was gay. And like, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, didn't, didn't come out to my friends until 
senior year of college, you know, again, this is the eighties. And I only mentioned that because that's been another part of my journey. It was like, I got to LA and I was like, I'm not staying in the closet. Like I did back East and kind of with my family and everything. I have to be who I'm going to be. It's one of the reasons I moved so far away from home and I'm going to try to make this happen and live out loud. And it did. And I started, I got my SAG card within a couple of years. There was a casting facility place called PAG. And I, through this friend from college, I started doing work study there. And you would work an hour, you get an hour of classes for, you know, for your, for typing out the bills or whatever, like literally on an electric typewriter. And that's how I met casting directors. And I would do these casting director workshops and commercial workshops. And that's how I got my first agent manager, my first commercial, and my, my, uh, through which I got Taft Hartley. And then I got my first sitcom, which was Wings, which I, in 90, it felt like so long, but I realized now I was only in LA maybe two and a half years before I got on my first sitcom. And I'm two years into it, also in 89, 90, I got my first national commercial. Right. Somehow. Yeah. That's a, uh, like you said, that's a lot of like the drive just to come out here and almost the, uh, the push to get to be kind of just authentically yourself. If you had so long where you're like, Oh, you know, you are an actor and you want to perform and you want to be wholly yourself. Otherwise I don't think you would have booked if you were not being who you are. That's true. That's true. Even though of course, constantly me and uh, lots of, lots of people for lots of reasons get told like you're too this, you're too that. And my thing was like, you know, you're too light for this and you'll never, I was always told <laughs> in commercials, you'll never book a beer guy. Being a beer guy was like a big thing there, like a beer dude. And I was like, I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be okay without being the beer guy. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll make do. I'll manage. <laughs> I'll manage. I'll drink a lot of beer in the meantime. Uh, yeah. I, this is not beer. It's <laughs> coffee. It's coffee. Dude. Yes. Okay. I was about to say, it's like, that's a bad looking beer if it's beer. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of five. Where do you fall in your, with your siblings? One of six. All right. One of oh, six. You have, oh, that's right. You have five. Other. Are you five. in the middle somewhere? I am... Or? I am middle-ish. I'm the second child, but the first son, and I'm named after my father. I'm Joseph Samuel Pancake the third after my father, who's the second, after my great-grandfather, who's the first. And I have, well, my brother, uh, I had, a, I had a, a, a trans brother, so it used to be three girls, three guys. Now it's four guys, two women. So that's been happening in the last few years. So that's the story. Do you feel like uh, being kind of the eldest boy, there is different types of pressures or expectations or was your family very much just like, Oh, he's going to perform. That's what he's showing to do. Like I do a whole one man show about this, or I have done, I might do it again about growing up as a pancake and this big old house in the country. And my pancakes had been there in the County in West Virginia since like the 1750s and a lot of history and heritage there. And, but as I say in my one man show, like, one of the things about having kind of Southern waspy kind of cold parents is they, they aren't that interested. My, it's not that, that interested. They were like, Oh, okay, go do it. Just don't, you know, just don't bother us too much. Go do what you will. Um, and my father paid for college. That's one thing I'll give my father for all the problems we had. He paid for my college, paid for undergraduate degrees for all six of us. I'll give him that. Very lucky that, of course, it's one of the things I'd bitch about it then, like, well, give me more money. But now I'm like, you privileged little shit. You were still complaining, and I had a car. 
All right, thank you. I'm looking at my father in heaven. Thank you, Daddy Joe. But if there was a thing, because I am the namesake, and my father still, who would never, we never talked about my sexuality. He died in 2018. We Very much an old Southern Presbyterian minister, Southern gentleman, liked to hunt and walk his lands, and was kind of a gentleman farmer, and very much the king of the county in his mind. He would say to me things like, when are you going to have another, you go have a little Joseph Samuel pancake, the third or fourth or whatever you are. I'm like, I'm the third. I'm literally named after you. You're the second. I'm the third. I would have a fourth and it's not going to happen. Or he would say things like, you should marry that Sandra Bullock. She's just delightful. No, daddy, I'm not going to do that. But luckily, my youngest brother is the, the business mind. He loves to renovate houses. He renovated one of the old houses on our farm. He like helps with the family business in terms of just the land and the the stuff that I don't have the business mind for. And he's he's amazing. Hats off to Jimmy Pancake. Luckily, my two straight brothers had the children, and some of my sisters had the children. So I I the the onus of having the kids. And hunting with my father and playing sports and all the, you know, traditional son activities my father wanted my other two brothers provided, luckily. So you benefited from having the big family of everyone got to, like, take. Yeah, for as many times as, like, you know, oh, I wanted more attention. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons I'm an actor is because I, I like the attention and I want the attention to a degree. You know, a lot of us actors have that, like. Oh my God, everyone look at me. Don't look at me. Everyone look at me. Take me and take me. But not right now. Yeah. I was like, you know, only look at me a certain way at a certain time How it, when I look a certain way. But there was definitely an aspect of my family of like getting lost in the crowd. Again, my parents were not super, it was a different generation. It was, there weren't, it was very, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of privilege, but like there was no, I love yous. There was no hugging. It's just not the way things were, especially with my mother and father. It's, but I will say this in terms of when I do examine in therapy, like, why do you need to be an actor so bad? I'm like, whatever urge or whatever, you know, universal source is pouring through my vessel to do this thing I do and to want to spread laughter and joy to people. I feel like it was in me earlier than like my need for the attention for it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I do feel like I come by it in a more, it sounds so pretentious. The urge is a little more pure than just wanting the attention, which it has to be because it's so fucking hard. As you know, if you just wanted attention, you know, go be a, go be an Instagram influencer or whatever, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like uh, this, this career is tough. You know, it started off as, like you said, from a more genuine, pure place of just perf- liking, like truly enjoying it, wanting to be a part of that. And then as you got older and you realize like, Oh, people give you attention from this, that gets layered onto it. Not the other way where you're like, I need attention. They get attention. I actually don't care about performing or doing any of this, you know? Right. And I, you're right. That's how it was for me because I didn't even, I remember seeing Mary Poppins when I was two and I vividly remember seeing the theater being like, I want to sing and dance. And like, I'm not a great singer or dancer, sadly. I was singing, dancing, just be up there. And it was the joy of it. It was the joy that it brought me and the joy I just wanted to embody and share. And yeah, that did come before wanting to be, because there, again, in my family, it was like, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted attention for some things but i didn't want the attention which was like stop acting so much like a sissy stop being so prissy stop being don't say this don't do that with your hands like you know the, the way that like either you know lots of people regard in their gender or sexuality or whatever it is are told don't be who you are you know I'm, 
there was plenty of that. So I didn't want that attention, but I did want the other attention. So over the years, have you given yourself a, a definition of success? Yeah, I have. I, um, I finally have because, you know, I've, I've had my ups and downs and my struggles sober 10 years ago. And I just say that in terms of like, that's when, when you do get sober, if you're me and you have had a lot of drinking and drug experiences for a long time and managed to pull it off somehow, the, the, the drinking and drugging for a long time. And when you get sober, finally in middle age, which I was, you're like, okay, take a good long look at things. What's important? What are your priorities? What do you love? What do you want to do forever? What is success to you? And to me, it is for just for me, it's being able to not have to have a day job, which I haven't had to since the 90s. And but to just make my living as an actor only, which I managed to do is my it's my definition of success for me. I keep my overhead low. I live in a small place. You know, I, I, I live light. And I, so I can travel or do whatever I want and being able to freedom. It's being able to do whatever I want when I do it, having enough money in the bank that I can do whatever I need to do and not have to, you know, and just wait for the next acting job to come along. And the times where I could have maybe gotten a house or bought a house or put a down payment, like it would take season three of a really successful series for me to buy a house. That's just me because I don't want the, the, you know, the anxiety and pressure of all the things that go wrong with the house. Just because, I mean, that's one of the traditional symbols of my beat. Why don't you own a house? I'm like, babe, give it up. Just give it up and enjoy your life. You know, mm. there was a, a Douglas Copeland quote, and I'm, it might be in the actual book Generation X, which I am, which was like, or it might be one of his later books. It's like, <laughs> our, my generation was the first one was like, you can have a house or you can have a life. I mean, it's, if you're being an, like an artist and a creative person, I was like, I pick having a life. Yeah, for you, it's about almost the autonomy and the freedom yeah. of what yeah, yeah. this career can give you. And as long as you have those things, it's sort of like that's success. I can, I can live the yeah. life you you want to live and not need to or forced yes. to live out of necessity. Your nece- your needs are met. And you continue if you've got your eyes open and you you're uh, paying attention and hopefully have a good therapist that you do keep learning and growing and redefining success for yourself as you go along. And for me now, it's just like I had a really busy, packed, full of work um, August. I probably will become, you know, I will be working more in the fall. But I was able to do, like we did the Golden Girls slide this weekend for fun and for money. I could do all that and not have to worry about a day job. And and I can, you know, these jobs just pop up. Like I, we were supposed to do this earlier and I got a job. So thank you for rescheduling. And just like, I can do that. I don't have to worry about like, my kids or my partner and rescheduling 17 different things because I get offered a movie, you know, and, and I have to be there in two days or I have to go to Vancouver. You know, I recur on this one show shoots in Vancouver and I find out usually the week before, you know, and I have to pop up to Vancouver and I love just not, that's one of the reasons I don't even have a pet. I don't have to worry about someone, you know, walking, walking fi- Fido. Is that, they still call dogs Fido. God, I'm old. You could bring it back. Fido! What? Why was that even yes, ever a, Why was that a thing? Fido. Okay. Rover. All the, all Rover. The Rover. <laughs> Do you have moments uh, in this career where you feel like you've hit personal kind of milestones or have quote unquote made it? What I have learned, what I've had to do is you just, you realize those, I call them high five freeze frame moments. Like at the end of the movie in the 80s or 90s, high five freeze frame. Like when I got to, the first time I got to go back to my high school and they asked me to do the commencement speech 
and the super asshole coach who had called me a faggot in front of my ninth grade class and who was terrible to my brothers and sisters because he's a fucking asshole. I wish I could say his name. I'm not. Everyone in my county knows who I'm talking about. I got to go back and confront him. But I won't go into the whole story. I do tell it in my one-man show about... I do another one-man show about my 30-plus years of being an out gay actor in Hollywood. But that was one of those high-five high five freeze-frame moments. And I remember writing the speech as if I was in some move, you know, teen comedy in the 80s or 90s of like building 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 and that's why today I'm da 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 and everyone like cheering and like just like I do have my own high five freeze frame by myself in the moment and you know it's just now I feel like every time I book a job it's a it's a milestone and a great moment or I get off let me say this yeah auditioning and and booking is Another is one amazing thing, just getting offered jobs now, which is I'm lucky enough to do a lot. That's enough, like I've made enough of a name and a, for myself that I can just get offered things. That's great. You know, booking a series, getting a compliment from people that you didn't even know knew who you were, who you admire, who say to you this and this and such nice things. You just have to take every little moment and and enjoy it and be grateful for it. And just, again, it's kind of the sober thing, like one day at a time, just try to live in the present moment. Because I have seen with myself and through others, and it's it's trite, but it's trite because it's true. Like, unless you're doing the work on yourself and what, whatever that means to you in terms of spiritual practice or therapy or program or your your religion or whatever, whatever your personal self-care and self-help program is, if you have one, and I hope you will get one if you don't, people, because no amount of money or getting the partner you think you're going to get or getting the house or the car or all the material things, that that good feeling or the fame thing, the red carpet or winning an award, all of that stuff feels great, I'm uh, absolutely. But if you don't have the underpinnings of your life lined up, that is that feeling of success and happiness is so fleeting and goes away, you know, and you're back to square one. Cause I've known incredibly, and you know who they are too, incredibly rich, famous people who are miserable for a, a variety of reasons. Right before COVID, I had lunch with a friend of mine who's very famous, gay man, didn't come out of the closet till way after he was famous. And he said to me, and he's always been a kind, supportive, well, super close, but I've known him for years. He was like, can I ask you a question? You're so... I was like, sure. He's like, he said to me, you're so talented and you're so funny. Why do you think you never made it? And I was, I felt like I got punched in the gut. It really hurt me because this was someone who over our lives have complained. He was very rich and very successful, very famous, who had complained to me so much about their lives and different things and just business things and relationship things. And and one of those people would be like, oh my God, you have this mansion and you have this all this success and you're still not happy? Wow. And I did say to him, I was like, well, I've, you know, I've always been out and gay. And that did impact my career because I didn't have the stomach to stay in the closet, nor was anyone, anyone going to buy me being like, when I was in my mid-20s, like, hey, Allison, um, I really am in love with you. Will you be my girlfriend? Like, I'm not going to get that those roles. But it really made me examine like what I thought about success. It really made me examine what success was to me. And I was like, yeah. And, and I had to get over like, oh, he thinks that I'm not successful and that I haven't made it. And I'm like, he doesn't, he lives in that bubble world where all his friends, most of his friends are super famous too. 
And so they live in their little, and I, I, I'm having privy to those conversations and those little bubble worlds of super famous people who are all complaining about, you know, their plumbing repairs in their fourth bathroom or, you know, the gardener at their, their third home or whatever. And other super rich people talk. I was just like, I, for me, for my own definition of success, I'm very happy, you know? I feel like that's that person throwing their definition of success onto you. Um, yeah, yes, yes, it's, yeah. It's, it also seems like for you, success is a lot more of a, a whole life, holistic. It's like you're, you have your career, which is a wonderful thing, but I also am picking up a lot of stuff of the, the gratitude for all of it yeah. strengthens it and makes it last longer than just the like quick rush of a booking or doing something where you're like, if it's, if it's just about the external of like getting the jobs, you know, billboards or whatever it like you said it goes away so fast faster yeah. than you could ever think you think like oh if i book that i'll be happy for two years and you're like i'm happy for 10 minutes yes and completely. now it's back to this but if you're grateful about it that will just keep you going for much longer so yeah I, I agree i think that's a, a better better outlook it's like drugs too so that's the thing it's also like drugs it's like a quick hit and then you're i remember getting my first national commercial and i was like i have <laughs> made it and then I was like, oh, the money was good. It was nice. But like, but then I realized, oh, yes, I haven't made it. This is not, you know, but then I realized, oh, no, you know, be just be happy for it. Be grateful and just keep moving yeah. on. And it's always the realization that uh, any external thing isn't going to fix internal problems. And you got to really work completely. on yourself to be like, okay, how do I stay happy? Yes, completely. <laughs> because of there's so many kind of ups and downs in this business what have you done or what do you feel helps you in the the lulls or in the moments where maybe it feels like work isn't coming in as much writing and producing my own one-man show stuff doing these one-person shows like you know i have done stand-up a little tiny bit i do not consider myself a stand-up and i do storytelling shows and like you know improv which you and i have done together all that stuff which is fun and helps you stay sharp creatively but writing these either autobiographical or character shows or the one I'm doing now pancakes from the edge is a combination of both. Those are what I do. And you make a little bit of money. You book a theater, you do your tickets. Thankfully I have enough of uh, enough people who know I am, who will come to my shows at this point that I can make a little scratch that month. And that's what I do. You know what I would do. And I still do to a degree is like I book a day to the theater and then I, you have to write the show and you can't, you can't, you're selling tickets, you can't let people know. And sometimes I've had to cancel because of work. That's the thing now for me is balancing the schedule stuff. You know, if there's one thing I would try to give more control into is like, in terms of making sure my, sh making sure with the theater that I could do the show on Saturday and Sunday, because if I do have to go to Vancouver or I'm shooting a TV show in town that week, it's highly unlikely I'd be working Saturday or Sunday nights. You know, right. it's, that's yeah. the kind of thing. And then I also go back and forth and this is so, I sound silly to other people and so cosmetic, but like, I like, I often have a beard and I'm on this one TV show where they want me to keep my beard, which I'm fine with doing. But then when I do the character shows, I play ladies sometimes, or like when we do Golden Girls Live, you know, I'm playing Sophia and I have to show, and you, a beard takes a couple of weeks, you know, you have a beard, yeah. it takes a couple of weeks to get her going. And I have to, had to do Sophia with the beard. And I just like, sorry, like last summer I was doing Say by the Bell as playing the drama teacher and I had started that show with the beard and I was like, I'm keeping the beard for the show. And Sophia's going to have a beard with like a pancake makeup on top of it. 
So that's so sometimes it's just scheduling my beard around things, yeah, which is just, the problems you want to have. It's not a bad yes, problem to have. Exactly. You mentioned this a little bit, but where's your head at with the concepts of of being rich and famous? Where does your mind go with those? Well, you know, when I was younger, I thought, you know, oh, that I want to be, you know, who doesn't like most people? Do. I want to be rich and famous. A lot of my need to be famous, I learned later, later through lots of therapy, is like, and I still see this in people around my age and it makes me sad not everyone like just a couple of people like who still think that being suddenly getting famous somehow will heal their childhood wounds doesn't work that way fame doesn't heal anything some of these same people i know who are super rich and famous i've been around them not just to see how miserable they are but like not all of them some of them but the problems they have from that and the freedom you know the lack of freedom they can have in some ways from that um, you can't just move through the world like you want to, you know, by yourself, <clears throat> like how I would want to do. But um, the way people treat them, I've been around, oh, my God, people go crazy. It's wild to see how treat, people treat really famous people sometimes. And you see enough of that and you're kind of like, I'm good. I'm good with being recognized a couple of times a month from, oh, were you in that thing? Not knowing my name. Like, I, I, you know, my ego, it's all ego. If, if that's what you want, like, oh, I hope people recognize me. And now I'm so glad people don't. The only reason I would want to be more quote unquote famous is to book more work. That's the only reason. I would, I want to be famous to like casting directors, directors, producers, and writers. They're like, let's hire Sam Pancake. We know he's going to, he's going to kill it if we get him in there. The, the rich thing is like, you know, more money, more problems is, it's just not, of course, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would figure it out. I would be fine. I would get the good business manager that my rich friends have. I would I would get a house. I would work it out. But it's I'm fine now not having to worry about that all stuff. Like, I don't need to be own a house and still be hand to mouth. Rich and fame, happy first. Happy, filled with joy, having wonderful days, doing great work with great people, having fun, knowing if you have a crisis or a problem or a disaster that you have the tools in your toolbox and the friends in your life and the resources to help yourself. That's what I want first. And then if rich and famous happens, that's fine. Well, it's almost like uh, starting out how this career wasn't about the attention. It just became sort of the byproduct. So for you, rich and famous are potential byproducts of the job, not the goal. Yes. Not, not the thing you're striving right. for. Yes being famous will not make me will not make my daddy love me you know that kind of stuff it's not it doesn't work that way it's not going to change your family dynamic it's not going to like fix you it's not going to heal you um it's not going to make you whole it's not you know it some, makes some people more miserable than and i often wonder because i enjoyed my drugs and my drinking a lot 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 daniel and i and when i was like actually would get on series a couple of times where I was series regulars and making a lot of money and working a fair amount. And then when it was over, I would just plunge into this depression of cocaine and speed and, and, and drinking and pills. And just like, I felt like for every great few months I had of like on camera, a work intention and attention to money, I would like, balance it out with this bender and binges of other things and like every and i'm so glad i didn't do that anymore first of all because i would have died and i'm glad to be alive so i plunged into these like drug depths you know just like feeling that that's like something i had to blow off steam or whatever but 
and that was fun and that worked for a while then but now i know how to like to approach life and events and exciting things and you know i'm, I'm i have a lot of you know energy i run really hot and so it takes a lot for me to calm down and cool down and go to sleep it's one of the reasons i did so many drugs and so many pills so i now have finally am in, still in the process of learning how to just like deep breaths no it, it comes from childhood terror of knowing i was gay really young and being af being afraid to be found out and and punished or killed or beaten for it like that was a very strong you know in the 60s and rural and 70s in rural west virginia that was a you know that was that was a valid fear and so i have this vigilance as i've learned through therapy you know that i have to like stay hyper anxious about everything to stay safe and i still say to myself sometimes no one's chasing you with a knife no one's chasing you with a knife for two minutes late you're gonna be fine don't freak out you know so it's just like you got to constantly manage that in the moment instead of like going off the rails for a few months and then like plunging into like a meth vodka cocaine slump for a while well it sounds like you know i've talked to a lot of people who had these childhoods where that was almost necessary it was like a safety thing and then you hit a point in life when you're you are more or less safe you're an adult you control your life but the body keeps the score it still remembers that so it still reacts the body keeps the score that's right it does um i need to get and read that book i I, I even referenced it literally yesterday to one of my castmates at Golden Girls Live. We were talking about something. I was like, yep, the body keeps the score. It's still in there. Do you feel in this career, uh, have you gotten some some bad advice? The well-meaning, but ultimately bad advice for me, and I think for the healing of the world, was like, you know, stay in the closet. Don't tell people you're gay. You know, butch up. Don't be so light in the loafers. Don't be so all the euphemisms they used for gay, like energetic and ebullient or, you know, high spirited and whatever. Constantly being told what you can't do and what you shouldn't do. Or just being told constantly, you'll never make it as an actor. Like I, in my college class, I remember like going in Western University with this freshman class and however many there were of us, like, like who here, put up your hand if you think you're going to have a career as an actor and all the hands go up. And then them saying like, either one or zero of you will make it as an actor. And I remember thinking then like, uh, it's gonna be me. And that's a success thing. It was me, guess what? <laughs> I was constantly told not to do it or to be a different person or whatever. And having that little thing inside me somewhere, somehow, I don't know if that's ego or just survival or whatever, me just being like, no, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna make it. Like I always just say like, if it's what you want to do, then nothing should be able to stop you from doing it. Yeah, Even exactly. if someone says, yeah. don't do it. But if at some point you realize you don't want to actually do it and would be happier or rather do other things, I love it when people say, I think I'm done acting. Me too. Yeah, like I don't want anyone to say I'm done because I had like a bad day or I'm over it. And we know like in, the, in an hour they'll be back into it. But when a person's given it thought and been like, I've, I've been working, I've been trying, I don't get the same joy, the same fulfillment. I want to do something else with my life. I go, that's amazing. Then you should follow that. Yes, like, completely. People who, young people are like, should I move to LA or should I try this? And I've said to people like, 
I didn't know about casting. Like my day job in the nineties is I worked for, after I worked in this casting facility, I met a, a commercial casting director there. I became his assistant and his associate. And that was my day job for like eight years in the nineties. I learned so much and I, to a degree, enjoyed doing it. I was also still acting, you know, doing commercials and some, some TV stuff, but I didn't know anything about casting or how casting works. And I know a lot of people who've come here to be an actor and get into casting and thoroughly enjoy it. There are people who get into casting and absolutely love it and are great at it and all kinds of different behind the scenes uh, or get into development, you know, please creative, smart people get into development to get new shows out there, you know, uh, imaginative people, you know, yeah, there's a lot of avenues in this business. And I'm always just like, you should always be self-aware and take time and take stock and where you're at in your life and what you want out of it. And if it's always just like, I, I know I just need to act and perform and, you know, be on stage or whatever, yeah. then that's what you're going to keep pursuing. But the second that goes away for a long stretch, then pivot and adjust and find other. Yeah. Things. And also I love, and also people on set, like Stacey K Black, who's a director that I've, I've worked with a couple of times. She was the makeup. She was the key makeup person on major crimes and different TV shows. And she, wanted to direct and she pivoted into directing and now she's an episodic director and works all the time. You get on set and you see like, Oh my God, who are all these people? What are all these? Unless you've gone to film school, which most actors haven't. What are all these jobs? Who are all these people? What's that guy doing? What's this over there? Oh, maybe I want to do this. You know, maybe I want to do that. I think it's, it's a whole one, a wonderful world. And the good news is kids. And I say this all the time when people are, you know, rah, 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 about their careers, which we all do all the time. It's like, there are, a billion more jobs than there used to be. When I got when I got to town, there were three fucking networks, you know? That's it. And a little bit of HBO and a little bit of Showtime. Now there's like so much more opportunities and obviously venues to be seen, YouTube, TikTok, uh, however people get their work seen by the world, Instagram, whatever it is. It's so many more. I mean, it's a very crowded field, obviously. But like, there are so many more ways to get your notice me, look at me needs met than there used to be. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of someone who loves to be noticed and wanting to be seen, it's time for uh -oh. the Here he comes. In Here comes. insult comic, Raz Clifford. He loves to come take the guest oh, down. Oh, God. <laughs> Is he just there in your house hanging out? He's just hanging yeah. out. He, he hates it. He hates when I book these uh, uh, interviews. Oh, like, my God. Like, the drive over. So let's bring out Raz Clifford. Come on out, Raz. Uh oh, well, well, if it isn't my old enemy, Sam Pancake. Oh my God. Okay, now I'm sure everyone, of course, teases you about your name, but can you blame them? I mean, Sam, what a dumb fucking first name. Oh my God. <laughs> seriously, I know, I know Sam Pancake for a while. I know Pancake's your actual last name, and you should be thankful that your family isn't from Belgium or be waffled. It's true. Now, is this true? You have a show called Golden Girls Live. Yeah, yeah. We did it this weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful I missed it. <laughs> you play you play the Sophia character. Is that also, are my notes correct on all this? Yeah, that is true. That's true, Raz. I've been curious, Sam. Is it difficult for you to portray someone so young? <laughs> it's the... Uh... It's the acting challenge of my life. And don't worry if you have a beard. I knew Estelle well. She always had a beard secretly. She had to throw on the makeup. Um, but truly, folks, I'm a huge fan of Sam's. The reason I love Sam is anytime I see him on television, 
I know I can immediately turn that show off <laughs> because if they are going to cast you, it ain't for me. No, thank you. Fair enough. Raz, I've same thing. Oh same gosh. thing, babe. Well, we don't need you as a viewer. We already get millions and millions. So we're happy to not have have trash eyeballs on our screen. And ouch, you had to get Raz, Sam. Look, if you see me around, please just stop talking to me. It, it looks really sad when you ask and beg for my autograph. You really need to go oh god raz please you're so mean i can't do it i'm i'm busy i'm getting the plumbing fixed on my fourth bathroom in my seventh in my seventh house <laughs> oh so you got oh you bastard yeah, so. you bastard. all right uh, daniel please stop making me do these all right bye <laughs> bye raz what a charmer yeah, what an absolute Real charmer um <laughs> We touched on this, but I'm curious. I know acting has been the thing you're doing. You're obviously incredible at it. You're crushing it. You've been in so many amazing shows. Oh, you're nice. It's not niceness. It's honesty. Oh, wow. Finally, you're honest with me. <laughs> I know it's about time. But if you weren't, if by some other uh, choice in life or avenue, if you weren't acting or anything related in the entertainment industry, what field or area do you think you would? So it can't be anything in entertainment. I think it would probably be art. My mom was an art teacher and we were raised with, with lots of art and classes and stuff. But then sadly, like my mom, <laughs> once my youngest brother went to kindergarten, my mom went back to work and her work was being the art teacher at my high school the year I started my high school. So I said, goodbye, art career. Because, <laughs> you know, when I was young, I was like, I want to be an actor, an artist, like nothing that would, you know, guarantee money at all. And and so I, and I'm not great. I mean, I love to draw and paint and, you know, do lots of, I love doing architectural sketches and blueprints and stuff like that. So I think it would probably be like fine art where you can just do some weird project and, or even have someone else build it for you and just do an installation and call it a thing. I think I would probably do that. Now, inevitably, and if you have been, forgive me, but inevitably when you're a guest on the late night talk show, what's a story you'd love to tell? I've been on a late night talk show, but not as myself, only as a character. So I know I have not done that. I would pr maybe tell the, <laughs> my stories. I'm getting so old. My stories, the references are like, what? Even though I was from this deeply homophobic background and like, you know, the worst thing you could be was a queer or a fag or whatever. Um, my first onstage show with the, the, the women's club in my hometown would put on a minstrel show. Hello. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all white people and uh, we me and my friends were in a hee-haw sketch and I my mother was the first person to put me in drag as mini pearl anybody if people any people might not know these references but I did that that was my first job on stage was in drag and then like just have had so many crazy things happen in my career I did Will and Grace with Rip Taylor. Do you know who Rip Taylor is? Mm -hmm. He phone stalked me for a while and it got real scary there for a minute. That was wild. Oh God, I got so many stories. That's the thing, like as my younger friends know, it's like my one's like, we drive down a block and you got a story about every third house. I'm like, or that's a bathroom and I did cocaine in. You know, there's lots <laughs> of those stories for sure. Show yeah. me a bathroom I haven't done cocaine in in Silver Lake <laughs> or West Hollywood. In your golden years, maybe you'll do the Sam Pancake cocaine tours. 
and it'll take take all your fans around to the various forget the star maps forget the houses yeah you'd be like what we love about this this bathroom had a really nice marble (laughs) countertop yeah countertop (laughs) and the the door lock that was the important thing does the door lock oh fantastic uh sam thanks for hopping on and chatting with me about your career and life and all that good stuff. You're welcome. Anything coming down the pipeline that for viewers should be watch out for? Yes. Wow. I had a busy summer. I'm going to be on the Goldbergs. It's to come on the Goldbergs, I think, on the second episode. I should return to a million little things. Uh, I haven't been booked any dates yet, but they, they go back to this week. So hopefully I'll be on that soon. I did a movie with the other Golden Girls. Chris Pine, the Chris Pine, who wrote, co-wrote this movie and directed it and stars in it called Pool Man, which we are in and I'm in as Sophia, should be, and also Annette Benning and Danny DeVito and Jennifer Jason Lee, but who's counting? That should be coming. I'm sure that'll be within the next year or so. So that movie's called Pool Man. I was in a short film with the Taron Killam, who I adore, directed with Andrew Chappelle, who was in the original cast of Hamilton. He wrote this movie, and he and Devere Rogers, another amazing young talent, were both in it. It's called Fanatic. I mean, that that should be coming out within the next year. Did this movie, Advanced Chemistry, last week with Sarah Burns and Shantae Wayans. That should be coming out within, you know, I don't know, whenever movies come out. <laughs> like, it's an indie. So much fun. And then also, I would love it if people go to my Instagram and come to see my show, Pancakes from the Edge which is a one-man show I do that's stories, videos, and uh, characters inspired by my love for the movie Postcards from the Edge and my love of Carrie Fisher um, and Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. And even if you don't know that movie, I think you'll enjoy the show. And I think that's all. And what's the Instagram so, handle? What's the Instagram handle? Oh, at The Sam Pancake. Oh, and I have a podcast. I mean, unlike any other comedian or performer or writer, I have a podcast. Right. Um, it's called Sam Pancake Presents the Monday Afternoon Movie. It comes out every Monday. I cover TV movies from the 70s and sometimes 80s. Normally, it's horror supernatural TV movies. But this season, it's called Teenage Wasteland. I'm doing all the 70s, 80s, like, teen trouble movies like Sarah T, Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic, and Go Ask Alice, and Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway. That's also, it's all on my Instagram, or just go to... Sam Pangy presents the Monday Afternoon Movie wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, fantastic. Well, again, thanks, Sam, for hopping on. And thanks, listeners, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.